Welcome to Ogilvy On. I'm Chris Saletti. Can Lines is a place where everything comes together. Small startups and gargantuan enterprises, wild creativity and hardline business results, Hollywood and YouTube, art and science, rosé and, well, I guess just more rosé. Seriously, it's all anyone drinks here. And I gotta say, personally, I don't get the whole rosé thing, but I digress. Taking stock of the festival so far, one overarching theme throughout the first few days has been this merging of different industries and areas of expertise of joining together to try and create new ideas or new ways of doing things. Our Jeremy Katz sat down with Jim Stengel, author of the new book, Unleashing the Innovators, to see what big companies can learn from small ones and vice versa. So my first question for you is, um, what was the inspiration for writing a book like this? Was it a story, an event? Actually, it was an event, and it was an event almost 10 years ago. And I was still at P&G, and Google was a startup. You know, actually it was more like 12 years ago. And I just thought something was going on there. So I went out to visit them. And uh, Tim Armstrong was running sales. Small company, I met Sergey, Larry, the whole bit, and started talking with them. And, and obviously something powerful was happening. And we had, and P&G and Google were very different cultures. So I started talking with Tim about how do we take the partnership to a different level beyond a transaction on search advertising. And we just were knocking some ideas around and we kind of fell on this idea of exchanging employees for about a month. So we brought some Google people into PNG and they worked in brand teams on Pampers and Bounty and Charmin and Tide. And then we sent people out there to work on some of their teams. And, and then we had them write up the findings and present them to broadly across the companies. And that had a big impact on Google on how they set up their sales organization much more customer focused than they were. And they also thought sort of about initiatives differently. And for us, you know, the, uh, obviously just how fast they worked, the fearlessness, the experimentation, the rapid iteration. So, and that's been kicking around in my head. Uh, Tim's still a friend for a long time. I left PNG eight years ago. Uh, I worked with a lot of startups and big companies. Every big company that we're working with is struggling with culture change. They all seem to be trying things with startups. So I wanted to unpack that and see what really was going on and was there a possibility to develop sort of a playbook for big companies who are trying to change their culture to be more innovative and can startups be a highly efficient, highly effective, highly creative way to do that? Well, I think the major challenge for mature companies right now is dealing with failure and risk taking. You know, what's happened to most large enterprises is they're Growth is challenged, so, so many of them, the markets are shrinking, so they're fighting for share. People within those companies get risk averse. They don't want to make a mistake. They're worried that one mistake will knock their career off. And so they play to not lose versus play to win. And, and that's pervasive. And so one hope I have for this book is it will energize people to, uh, to try something new. What's the downside? Because actually I think a lot of them feel like a mistake will jeopardize their career. I think in actuality it won't. So, but this is what's happening in big companies and, and what we're trying to do in the book is give some cases, stories, examples of people who have embraced 
this idea of, um, of, of failing fast and then doing it and iterating all the good stuff from Silicon Valley, but they're doing it. And when people do trip, they use productive learning. You know, uh, Jeff Immelt said sort of uh, famously that he's changed how he asks questions, how he does reviews. He asked people, you know, what did you do? Uh, what did you learn? Now what are you doing? You know, versus did you meet goal? So, um, so there's just a lot of stories. There's uh, uh, Rick Dalzell, who is the ex-CTO of Amazon. Uh, we interviewed him for the book. He was CTO at Walmart and Amazon, interesting. Uh, and, and so he, and he talked an awful lot about what's amazing about Amazon, which you could say is the most incredible company in the world right now, is that even with the size they're at now, they're totally okay with failure if it's done with the customer in mind. Hmm. Even epic failure, if it's done trying to do something remarkable for the customer. Oh, that's actually going to be very interesting. Simple, right? Yeah, I mean, didn't they just discontinue their uh, direct uh, uh, diaper program? That would have been definitely a big failure, but that was absolutely with the customer in mind. Yeah, they, they are, um, if, if you can rationalize it that I was trying to do something good for the customer, they're, pre they're pretty tolerant of failure. Hmm, that's kind of awesome. So it's actually the last question that I want to ask is about those stories. So for this, can we uh, yeah, well, come in? Yeah. Um, I would. Oh, uh, are you, you're on the edge. Are you going to fall off? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so Jim, you you have some key stories in the book. Um, could you unpack one or two of them for us and tell them why they're so important? Tell us why they're so important and what what we should learn from them. Well, this, the this, the book is story rich. Uh, there, it, it, it's, it's structured as a playbook, so it starts with how do you start looking for startups and how do you decide which ones to work with, how do you set yourself up within the company, what happens when you hit failure, what happens when you're in the middle of the partnership, what happens when you wildly succeed, how do you scale the lessons across the enterprise, what does it mean for you as a leader. And so that's how the book is structured with lots of stories. I mean, there, it is just, there's, there's a guy that, a guy named Zane Jaffer in the book, he's the founder of Vungle, which does video ads inside apps, I mean, that people really want to watch. He's at $300 million run rate, uh, remarkable entrepreneur, uh, incredible story. Uh, he was, um, his family moved from Uganda to London, very, very, very poor upbringing. Um, and he had an idea, he got to Silicon Valley, uh, and and it and it hit and his uh, we visited him a couple times uh, the energy in that place uh, his his personal leadership his uh, his personal charisma um, it's just you walk into it you know, you know immediately something special is going on there so he's one of the really remarkable stories um, there's a guy named Alex Hertel he's a Canadian uh, ex Google kind of he and his brother sort of founded Google Wallet at least the company that became Google Wallet. He has a company called Experial that is looking at a new way to code to make it much more um, you know, easy for everyone to code by using a new visual language. And he also is finally finding a way to use the mobile device in a remarkable way in mobile marketing, bridging the physical and digital world. He's getting a lot of uptake from sports teams right now because they have a large captive audience in a stadium and the mobile device can be really used in an interesting way. I mean, I met that team, um, a lot of women, a lot of diversity, incredible uh, ambition. And honestly, I, I believed them so much, I said, can I invest? You know, and I did. You know, so that's not why we did a book, but I, we just met some remarkable people. And inside big companies, you know, 
there are great people in big companies. I mean, I came from one, uh, and it's important big companies succeed because their scale can really change the world for the better. And I, I just think what's going on inside IBM is pretty remarkable. Um, and uh, I'm eager to see what really happens with Watson. Um, we, did, we went to the Blue Mix garage within IBM. You know, we talked to the Watson people, the, the head of Watson. And, um, and I, you know, I just think it's exciting. We're at the beginning of all of that. Uh, and I referred to GE earlier. You know, we talked to their head of HR in uh, South Asia about how he and his team are dealing with failure and making it really productive. And, and that's about as strong a story as I've heard about how do you embrace the, the fast, the fail fast and the whole dealing with failure issue and make massive progress on it. So as we embark on the quote, international festival of creativity, how much does creativity actually matter? If someone could prove that success at Can Lions drives overall business success and could provide a playbook on how to win at Can, that person would be very popular around these parts. Maybe that's why Jason Heller of McKinsey opened this year's festival, revealing new research that shows a strong correlation between the two. Here's Jeremy with Jason Heller, partner at McKinsey. Uh, we looked at 16 years of uh, Can Lions uh, winning data. Um, and of course, as you can imagine, defining creativity is actually an imperfect science, right? I mean, how do you define creativity in general? I mean, it's not, no, you know, if you ask 10 people here, their definition of creativity, you're gonna get 10 different answers, right? So we said, okay, let's work together with CAN, let's look at this data set longitudinally to say, you know, this is what the community of the most creative minds in the world have deemed as creative. So it's as good a proxy of creativity as you can get. And now let's look at that longitudinally. So it's not just about a campaign or an award, it's about a behavioral pattern, right? So over time, you know, what is the pattern of winning these types of awards? What, what is the pattern of creativity that we could then create some kind of quantifiable link to, you know, real metrics that businesses care about? Things like organic revenue growth, total return of shareholder to shareholders, uh, total uh, net economic value. Right? These are the metrics that you know, boards of directors and CEOs and management teams actually use uh, to guide and steer the way that their companies work. Um, we further triangulated that with a bunch of research we have on innovation, where we have a database of you know, hundreds of companies that uh, we looked at the performance of their innovation and how that innovation actually links to business value. And we actually were able to triangulate that companies that had this uh, high ACS score, we, we developed this index around the trajectory and breadth of uh, points one at can over the years with financial performance and with this innovation score to feel really confident that we had a fact base that shows that over time companies that are more creative have better uh, financial performance. So just to be clear though, it's, it's, it's a measure over time for companies, not the measure of an individual campaign performance. Correct. So we, we felt that the most accurate way to do this, to look at the cultural um, management practices that foster some behavior within your organization, in this case the behavior is creativity, has some kind of impact on business performance. So that leads to an obvious next question. What are those behaviors and practices? Sure, so um, we synthesize this into sort of four key behaviors that, uh, or four key management practices that foster or potentially foster this behavior. Uh, first is uh, embedding and hardwiring uh, just discussions and 
prioritization around creativity in the day-to-day business operations. So not just being aspirational about it, not just saying, hey, we're going to be creative, but actually Im- embedding that in your day-to-day operation and, and having senior managers within an organization role model that. So for example, what we learned is that the companies with these higher ACS scores, uh, that in their board meetings, uh, 30% of the time, they're actually talking about campaigns and creativity and marketing, where companies that don't have that high ACS score, they're not having those discussions in their board meetings. So um, we've also uh, looked at the sort of rigor that these companies have around um, uh, just setting clear goals and KPIs around how they actually uh, integrate uh, creativity into their day-to-day operations. So it's not just about you know managers saying, hey, go be creative, because obviously that doesn't work. It's about role modeling that creativity is part of the day-to-day operations. That's, that's one. Uh, second is just having a fanatical fo- focus around your customer. So not looking at yesterday's versions of like focus groups and surveys, uh, but really using all of the um, new arsenal of like advanced analytics and modeling and you know ethnographic research to like truly understand your customer and then do something about it. So actually developing new segmentation, developing new value propositions against that customer base and actually going and executing against it. So that's two. Three is having a uh, accelerated pace of operations. So um, uh, being able to go from insight to action to revenue capture really quickly. If, if you think about just business in general these days, speed is probably one of the decisive characteristics of a modern business. And that's for everything, right? For supply chain, for, you know, for, for operations. So mar- marketing is no different. Somehow marketing is almost the last to adopt that, that, that mantra for speed. Uh, but going from insight to action quickly is critically important. Um, number four is being able to adapt. So not just launching the big idea, putting the campaign in the market and seeing how it, how it uh, performs, but really having the wherewithal and the capabilities and, and the, uh, the sort of uh, DNA in your culture to want to understand how the market reacts and then react to that reaction and continue to adapt and iterate. So those are the four characteristics that, you know, there's some devil in the details, but generally those four characteristics separate leaders from the rest of the pack. So one final question, and it just actually occurred to me as you were talking. The Festival of Creativity launched with a new study about the data around creativity. What does that say about the industry, do you think? Uh, you know, I, I, think, I think it says a lot about the progression of being able to quantify the impact of everything we do, mm-hmm. whether it's you know, the science of marketing or the art of marketing, uh, whether it's the science or art of new product development and innovation. I think the world around us has changed and consumers have a lot more control and the world is really fragmented. So for us to be able to extract and unlock value from engaging with customers, whether it's through advertising, through product development, through customer lifecycle management, you know, that level of engagement needs some rigor around the way that we manage our organizations. So I just think it's a natural evolution of things Right. And, you know, all of this has always been true. We just haven't always had the ability to dig deep into the data to actually extract that. So intuitively, I think we've all known creativity makes a lot of sense. Uh, Analytics and rigor and speed and iteration make a lot of sense. We just have never been able to actually put a sharp edge on it. And now we can do that. So we have the tools to do that. And I think it is just indicative of just generally where things are moving. Great. Well, thank you very much, Jason. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. As Jason said, creativity is a very difficult thing to define. At MIT, they're at least trying to figure out what happens in our brains when we're at our most creative. On Monday morning, I went to a panel featuring Adam Horowitz of the MIT Media Lab, 
where they're exploring the neuroscience behind creativity. Creative thinking often happens thanks to a phenomenon called transient hypofrontality. So for the lay people out there, let's break that term down a bit. The prefix hypo means beneath or less than normal. And frontality refers to the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain responsible for rationality, order, and decision-making. The word transient, of course, means temporary. So transient hypofrontality roughly translates to short-lived absence of rationality. Transient hypofrontality refers to those short moments where we're thinking in a less structured, focused, and rational fashion. These moments often allow thoughts to run around in our head and bump into each other, thoughts that normally wouldn't do that. While this state of mind can't exactly be reliably induced all the time, exercising or moving around can help bring it on. Anything that gets us out of our normal structure helps us be more creative. Sharing the stage with Horowitz was Benjamin Schritt, an artist exploring how painters can use machines and modern technology to create art. For now, Tritt has actually traded in his paintbrush, and he's using a number of different technologies and machines that he guides to create the piece that he's envisioning in his mind. Like many of the insights and ideas being explored at Cannes, the convergence of art, science, and technology isn't an entirely new phenomenon. Movies, television, music have all undergone massive changes throughout their history because of the availability of new technologies, whether those technologies change how the art is produced or how it's distributed. It's only a matter of time before painting and other holdouts join the fray. And they should. And they should do so free of the fear that doing so makes the end product any less artistically legitimate. Oh, there was one other way Harvitz said we could induce creativity. Alcohol. So have a drink and start creating. And I promise it doesn't have to be a rosé. Thank you for listening to this edition of Ogilvy On, an Ogilvy and Mather podcast. Our sound engineer is Ken Meyer, and our music and special effects were produced by Alan Hotchkiss. Special thanks to Jeremy Katz, Natalie Lyle, and Nicholas Walton, as well as Daniel Marin, Ned Martin, and everyone at H&L.